and I think Danielle does that on the um, on the way to the grocery store. Anytime she's able to be by herself without our kids, she does that. Listen, ladies, I really want to encourage you, if you have not already, to sign up and go to our ladies' getaway on November 11 and 12. It's just a Friday night, less than a 24-hour deal. Uh, you will love it. Husbands, you need to tell you, you need to sign your wives up uh, and just sign them up and say, go, get away, have a great, great time. The number one reason that people are giving us when we call them and say, hey, are you going to be able to go, is they say, I don't know anyone. The reason we're doing this event is because nobody knows anyone. We're a brand new church. We're only six or seven weeks old. The way you get to know each other is spending time with each other. Proverbs says to make friends, you've got to be friendly. That's, that's a pretty interesting verse. So I want to encourage you. Take a step of faith. Sign up for the ladies' getaway. Uh, if you can't afford it, let us know. We'll, we'll do everything in our power to make sure you can get there. But we really want you to be there. And, and listen to me, dads, send your wife away. Pay for her. Tell her to go away. And make sure when she comes home on Saturday, man, the house is clean. The dishes are done. Things are ready. Um, I can connect you with the company I'm paying to do that. While Danielle's out of town, if you want to know, just, just ask me. And I'll give you that information. But let your wives go and be a part of that weekend. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. If you have your Bibles today, we're in James chapter 5 in our Bible study time. And if you did not bring your Bibles, our ushers are going to come down the aisle like we do every Sunday. If you forgot your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we want to be able to put a Bible in your hand. If you just want one to follow along today, that's wonderful. If you want to keep the Bible, we're giving you. Just wave at our ushers. This one's yours to keep. Uh, We want you to have a Bible that you're able to read and study. And just turn it to James chapter 5. Because that's where we'll be as as we begin to study God's word today. But let me ask this. As you're turning to James chapter 5 and getting there, and by the way, we handed you a pen when you came in. This is yours to keep, but also yours to take notes with. Uh, We handed you a little Bible study outline so you could follow along, so pull that out so you can take notes this morning. But let me ask you a question. On the outset of, of our Bible study this morning, how's your spiritual journey going? As you sit here today, October 23, 2011, How's your spiritual journey going? Uh, Let me ask the the question this way. If if you were to think back in your life and rate the very pinnacle of your spiritual experience as a 10, uh, maybe you look back at at a time in your life where you were just on fire spiritually, things were going well spiritually, you were engaged spiritually like never before. If you would rate that experience a 10, where would you rate yourself spiritually right now? How's your spiritual journey going? Because we build this church so that people, wherever they are on their spiritual journey, could, could get back on the path and, and move forward. And here's what I know about everyone in the room today. Everyone falls into one of four categories, and this is going to tie in with what we study in James chapter 5. There are people in the room today, some of you, maybe many of you, who are going through some real difficulty right now. I mean, this is a tough time in, in your life. October 2011, maybe the year 2011, maybe the season in your life this few years, you're going to look back on and say, that was one of the most difficult times in my life. And maybe you're in that window right now. This is one of the most difficult times in your life. I found out from Pastor Ryan this morning, we did youth ministry together uh, for about seven years. And he told me this morning that a, a young gal who was in our youth ministry several years ago was killed in a car accident on Friday, 23 years old. And he said, hey, her brother called. We had both her brothers and her. He said, he called me this morning and just said, I can't talk, but just pray. You, I, I know you guys love us. Pray. They're, having, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go through. They're in and getting ready to go through a horrible season in their life. And there are people in, in here right now that when you look at the chapters of your life, the one you're living in right now is the worst. It's really hard. Uh, if, if you're not there, then certainly you know of somebody who's going through a difficult time. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a relative. Uh, maybe it's a coworker. 
uh, maybe it's a parent, you, you have someone in your life that you can look at them and you know they're in, they're in a really tough spot right now. Uh, and some of us, it's more than being able to identify someone going through something. Some of us are attached to someone going through, through something. Uh, you know, when you, when you see a football player get injured on a football field uh, and you see, you know, if he's too big for the little trainers to carry him off, they'll bring out two other guys with him and they'll, they'll put his arms on their shoulders and they'll kind of carry him off the field. Some of you right now are not going through a difficult season, but you're carrying someone through a difficult season and it's wearing you out. Uh, because all of their weight, all the pressure of their life is on you, and you're trying to help them limp through life together. Or maybe you're in a position where you just came through a difficult season, and you're finally able to breathe a little bit. Today we're going to talk about having patience while suffering. But before we do that, I, I thought we should dive into what the Bible says about suffering, because the Bible, unfortunately, and, and I say this honestly, the Bible, unfortunately, promises that life will be difficult. And sometimes churches aren't, aren't real honest. It's the thought that if you just go to church and you give your life to Jesus and you give your money in the offering plate and you serve at church, everything's going to be great. That's not exactly what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 16:33, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. He's talking to his disciples. He's just a few days away from the cross. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise from the dead. He's going to give the opportunity for everyone to have their sins to for, forgiven. I mean, this should be a good moment for the disciples, but he said, you should know that life is going to be hard. And, and I am with you, but that doesn't mean that life won't be hard. Sometimes life is going to be really, really hard. So Jesus said, sometimes life is really hard. Peter, uh, the, the apostle who kind of launched the church in Acts chapter 2, said, you should know that life is going to be hard. In 1 Peter 4.12, he said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trials you're going through, as though something strange were happening to you. So Jesus said, listen, there's going to be times when life is really difficult. Peter said, there's going to be times when life is painful. The trials you're going through, that life hurts. And even the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.29, so Jesus, Peter, and Paul, I mean, if they say it, it's true. I, I promise you. Paul said, it's been granted unto you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Life is going to be hard. And everyone in here, you're either going through a difficult time, you've come through a difficult time, or you will go through a difficult time. According to Jesus, Peter, and Paul, the Bible, that's, that's what the Bible says. But in all fairness, they warn us. This shouldn't be a surprise. You know, I, I hate to go to both the doctor and the dentist. Has anyone in here ever had a bad experience with a dentist? And I know we have a few dentists in here. So this, I did not have a... Yeah, your husband's a dentist and you've had a bad experience with one. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a horrible experience with a dentist when I, when I was in elementary school. Too young. It was either fifth or sixth grade. I can't remember. But since then, I've been afraid to go to the dentist. I don't like to go to the hospital. I don't like how they smell. I don't like how they feel. I don't like how they taste. To me, I can even taste them. I mean, I get overwhelmed with medical things and and i just don't like them but at least they warn you before they hurt you right i mean if you ever broken a bone and gone to a doctor to have it set he'll tell you this is going to hurt get ready this is going to hurt a dentist will tell you you're going to feel a pinch now what that means to me is you're getting ready to pass out because that when he says you're going to feel a pinch i usually wake up in another room with towels on my head and i mean when I get my teeth cleaned, I pass out at the dentist. It's really, really bad. But at least they're honest. This is going to hurt. You're going to feel this. A lot of times we tell people just live for Jesus and do the right thing and life will be good. That's not what the Bible says. You know, un unfortunately, churches 
kind of, they, they cosmetize the truth. Like parents sometimes cosmetize the truth. Y'all ever remember when, when your mom and dad, did, or, or did you ever, maybe I'm the only one, when your mom and dad were getting ready to spank you and, and they said this lie to you? I know it's a lie now because I'm a parent. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You parents ever say that to you? That's not true. It, it hurts the child. I mean, I've spanked my child once, not, you know, maybe twice. And, and I promise you it hurts them way more than, than it hurts me. My son this week brought a uh, school project home from school. It was a storyboard that he was working on, and he had to take it back. And Daniel said, Christian forgot his storyboard. You've got to take it back to the school. So jumped in the car, ran up to the school. And as I'm walking in, I'm reading this storyboard that he's put together, um, list of characters, the setting of the story, um, then a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, and I'm reading it. The, the list of characters is a mom, a dad, and their son. And the setting is right before bedtime. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, here's it's a little story about our family, so I'm getting interested. Uh, and the beginning is mom and dad say, brush your teeth and go to bed. Um, so the little boy gets told to brush his teeth and go to bed. But in the middle part, he comes back and says, well, can I get a glass of milk first? Which, Christian, that's his stall tactic. Well, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. You know, I need something to eat. So they let him get a glass of milk, and then he goes to bed. But when he goes to bed, everything in the dark scares him. That's the middle part of the story. So the end of the story is he gets out of bed and goes and tells his mom and dad that he's scared of the dark, and his dad screams at him, go back to bed or I'm going to spank you. <laughs> and I'm reading this as I hand it, and as I'm handing it to the lady, I'm saying, this is a fiction story. This is not real. This is not our, this is not my family. And I felt so guilty that when Christian came home from school, I said, son, I need to talk to you for a minute. And I said, listen, Christian, like, you can't tell people when your dad yells at you and spanks you, okay? He said, what are you talking about, Dad? So, well, I read your story about you going to bed, and I yelled at you that I was going to spank you. And he started laughing. He said, Dad, that was a book review. That wasn't about you. Not at all. So, anyway, it is what it is, guilty conscience. But I've never told my son, this is going to hurt you, uh, hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I usually tell him that this is going to hurt, but this is, this is your punishment. I don't like to do this, but it's not going to hurt me. I, I promise you I'll feel no pain in this. But the Bible says we're going to suffer. We're going to feel pain. And James says specifically in James chapter 5, we've got to learn how to be patient while we're going through that. So we're in James chapter 5 today. We're going to look at verses 7 through verse 11, and we're going to talk about the difficulty of trying to be patient while life is hard. The difficulty of patience in sufferings. And here's what James says. James 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, it's interesting. As we read through James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, we see three things that make being patient so hard. Three, three difficulties that as you and I try to walk through a tough period of life, and maybe, maybe you're in that tough period of life right now. Maybe you've come out of it. Maybe you're going through it. Maybe you're trying to help someone through it. There's three things James said make it really, really hard to have a good spiritual attitude, to have a happy heart, to have an encouraged spirit while you're going through this. 
And he gave them to us, and he gave us three examples of those people. The first thing he said that makes being patient difficult is the unknown timing of the suffering in our life. He said we don't know exactly when it's going to end. One of the things that makes being patient so hard is we don't know when it's going to end. If we were told be patient for another month, we could be patient for another month. If we were told this will be over a year from now, we could probably even mark it on the calendar and get through a year. But when we just don't know if it's ever going to end, it becomes almost impossible. Look at verse 7 again. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James says one of the things that makes it hard is, is the thought that there's this unknown timing. And here's the example question that people ask when they're going through difficult times. The example question is this. How long is this going to last? How long am I going to go through this? How long am I going to feel bad? How long will I feel guilty? How long will I feel lonely? How long will I feel hurt? How long will I feel betrayed? When, when is this hurt going to go away? And James says one of the things that that makes being patient and suffering hard is you don't know. He said the the example of, 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 of this type of patience, he said the example is the farmer. And he said when you look at a farmer, you look at a farmer as someone who has zero control over what he needs to happen in his life. He literally puts everything in God's hands. Now I grew up in a farming community. And on the way to and from church, I live just down Pryor Road. I, I drive past some fields that have been planted with some corn and some other things. And, I, you know, I watch the crops come and go. And, you know, as, as a casual bystander, I, I think we know when they plant and when they harvest and what happens in between. But the farmer lives and dies by that process. And, I mean, can you imagine going sometime in, sometime in March and beginning to turn that soil And sometime in April and going and scattering the seed and then literally being done with your part until October. You know, I don't know any farmers. And I grew up in a farming community. A lot lot of my friends had farms that we would go mess around on. And we did things we shouldn't do, like corn cars. Do you all do that in Kansas and Missouri? That's like where you hide in a ditch and you take the dry corn kernels off when you're a redneck and you throw them at cars when they drive down the road and then you jump on your four-wheeler and run away we did stuff like that that i'm pretty sure was illegal but that that's that's what we did i I know the farming game and i don't know of any farmers who ever planted their crops and then went back to their field the next day and started telling them to grow i don't know any farmers that played music for their soil and thought you know if we can just get a little worship music around the soil maybe that seed will grow I don't know any farmers that brought their friends to lay hands on their field or to pray over their field or, or to have church on their field. You know what farmers do? They plant it and then, and then it's up to God. Either the weather's going to be right or the weather's not going to be right and there's nothing they can do to control one or the other. They can't make it rain. They can't make the temperature be either too hot or too cold. They can't make sure there's not too much rain that it doesn't get totally flooded. I mean, they are totally at God's mercy and God's timing. They plan it, and then they let it go. And James says, you need to, in your suffering, you need to learn to deal with unknown timing like farmers deal with unknown timing. You just kind of have to let it go and trust that God will do something. You have no control over your suffering. In Galatians 6, 9, we, we see one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but, it, but it's, it's kind of a vague verse. Galatians 6, 9, Paul says this to the church of Galatia. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. On your little sermon notes, I want you to write the words proper time. Because I read that this week, and this is a verse that I quote to people when they're hurting. And here's the question that I had this week for the first time. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Here was my question this week. When is the proper time? Like, when is that? Is that a year? Is that after we've learned our lesson? Is that after we've paid the consequence? When is, when is the proper time? The, the New International Version, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, says proper time. The New Century Version says don't, don't become weary in doing good for at the right time. The uh, New American Standard Bible says don't become weary in doing good for it in due time. The King James Version and the New King James Version says don't become weary in doing good for in due season. The DMV says there's never a good time. Say, what's the DMV? That's the Department of Motor Vehicles. This week I had to go get my license renewed. And my wife asked them when, when we were going, and she said, when, when is a good time to come here when it's not busy and you don't have to wait? And the guy looked at us and he said, there's never a good time. And as I was looking at proper time and due time, I, I thought of him. DMV is not a translation of the Bible. It's just it's a horrible place to go if you ever have to go there. It's never a good time to go. But as I was reading this, I thought, due time, proper time, right time, due time, due season. And I thought, when in the, okay, when is that? When is due time? When is proper time? When is right time? Because I, I think I know when the right time for me is. I know when I've had enough. How does God choose the right time, the due time, the due season, the, the proper time? How does God choose when that is? So I went and I looked at it in, in the original languages of the Bible. The, the original New Testament was written in Greek. And, and the Greek is, is a little different. One Greek word can mean several English words, and sometimes we, we don't get it totally right when, when we try to translate. I'm not an expert in Greek, but I know how to use the, t- the tools. So I went, and, and the words in the Greek, due time, proper time, right time, due season, they're the words idios, like idiot, idiot with an S instead, idios, keros. And I'm probably saying that wrong. But I went and I looked up those two words. I thought, what does that mean? And here's what it means. It means your own divine appointment see don't grow tired when things are going wrong because you have in the future your own divine appointment that will change everything god already has the date marked on his calendar you just can't see it on yours you have your own divine appointment you say what what exactly is that i called my sister-in-law this week daniel's little sister to ask her permission to use this story, but, uh, but Jenny Lee, who's, who's here today, a year ago went through just a terrible divorce. And you know, in, in ministry and in life, you, you watch a lot of people go through divorces. I mean, 54% of marriages end in divorce. So more people get divorced than, than actually stay married. But not until you're on the inside, man, do you see the pain and the loneliness and just, I mean, you talk about sucking the life out of someone. And Danielle and I walked walk with Jenny Lee through that last year for, for several months. And there were a lot of days and nights when we talked, and, and, and the question was, is she, she going to make it? I mean, for those of you who, who are in the room who have been divorced, you know what I'm talking about. And some of you were, have, have been divorced. Just a, You're going through it right now. Your life is miserable. Some of you went through it 10 years ago, and it's actually worse now than, than it was then. I mean, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing to go through. And, and we often talk and wonder, you know, when... When will she feel better? When will she smile? When, when will she be okay? When's her due time, proper time, right time? 
And we asked that question for months and months and months. And I didn't think about it until this week. I was preparing my message, putting things together, and Jenny Lee tweeted this week. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know what tweet is, it's nothing bad. It's, you know, it's not a bad word or a bad activity. It just, it, it, I can't explain it to you if you don't know what it is. But she sent the world a text message, basically, is, is the thought there. So she sends out a message, and she says, One year ago today, Jeff, who's her new husband, one year ago today, he contacted me out of Facebook, uh, on Facebook, totally out of the blue. And now I'm married to him, and everything, basically everything in life has changed. And you know what that was? That was her idios keros. That was her due time. That was the time that God had circled in her life to stop the bad and begin the good. And man, the downhill slide was really bad, but there is a due time. For those of you still waiting for your due time, don't give up. That's what Galatians 6, 9 says. Don't give up waiting for your due time. It's coming. When? I don't know. I don't know any more than I can know when the crops are going to grow. I don't know. But, but James says you just got to be like the farmer. It's difficulty to have patience while you're suffering because you don't know when it's going to end. But in due time, at, at some point in time, your own divine appointment will happen and things will turn around. Peter said this in 2 Peter 3, 8. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. That means God doesn't see time like we do. And, and unfortunately, we, we don't see time the way God does. Sometimes a day feels like a year for us or a week feels like a, a decade or a few months feel like a lifetime that we go through difficulty. But the Bible says that, that God is going to work. When I called Jenny Lee this week and, and asked her if I could share a story, she said, you need to share some verses, she said, that I struggled with um, and that God really pulled out of my heart when I was going through my difficult time. She gave me Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. It won't be on the screen. I'm sorry. You might jot it down. But David asked this in Psalm 13, and maybe this is your question today for God. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? This is David who loves God dearly, who tells God, quit ignoring me. How long are you going to ignore me? I'm dying here. I need your help, God. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long will I struggle with anguish? How long will I be sorrowful in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? When's it going to end? That's why it's so hard to have patience in suffering. You don't know when it's going to end. James says this in James four thirteen through 15. And life is much shorter than we understand it. He says, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll, we'll do, go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll, we'll carry on business. We'll make some money. Why? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Your life is short. So regardless of how long these problems seem to last, God's going to deal with them at some point in time. And you can count on your due time coming. It's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In, in the late 60s, the Birds, who was a popular music group, took this, this portion of Scripture and they made a great song out of it. And the churches went wild because the hippies had used the Bible verses to make a great song. But it's a great song. You'll recognize it. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon said there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. 
A time to scatter stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend. A time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? He said, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And he said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. You know the, the, the song, I'm sure you've heard it at some point in your life. And Solomon, and, and remember, Solomon was somebody whose sister was brutally raped. Solomon was somebody whose, whose brother was brutally killed. Solomon was someone who, when God finally took Solomon and put him in his God-anointed place, it ripped his family apart. I mean, ripped his family apart. And Solomon looked back at his life and he said, I know God wants me to enjoy my life, and I just have to learn there's going to be good seasons and bad seasons, and they kind of they come and go, and I've got to just hang. I've got to enjoy the good ones. I've got to hang on through the bad ones. Unknown timing makes it difficult to do that, but you can know that timing is going to end. God, at some point, is going to lift the burden. I don't, I don't know when, you don't know when. That's what makes it difficult. But we have to trust that that time is going to come. So difficulty number one, why is it so hard to be patient while we're suffering? Because you don't know when it's going to end. Difficulty number two, and we, we won't spend a, a ton of time here, but difficulty number two is it's difficult to have patience while you're suffering because of unrewarded sacrifice. You felt like you gave so much. You felt like you gave up so much. You felt like you sacrificed so much. And then everything went wrong. And in James 5.10, if you'll go back and look at the text in James 5.10, James gives us another example of somebody who, who will have difficulty having patience and suffering because they're like this group of people. He said, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Example question for somebody who's struggling through suffering because of unrewarded sacrifice. They've given so much and reaped so little. The question is, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Were those few years of marriage worth it? Was the service to the church worth it? You know, more people have been burned out serving the church, than they, unfortunately, than, than they have serving God. And there's a lot of people who don't want anything to do with God, not because he did anything wrong, but because the church burned them. And they can't square in their mind whether or not their sacrifice was worth it. There's mothers who hung in there in marriages, fathers who hung in there in marriages, kids who tried to make relationships work with their parents and vice versa. They just didn't work. And your life is, you're just kind of living in a miserable cycle and you're wondering, is all the sacrifice even worth it? So the question we have is, you know, was the sacrifice worth it? And our example is the prophets. He said, look at the prophets. You know, we look back and say, oh yeah, if we could only be like the prophets, wouldn't that have been cool to be like Daniel? I don't think so. Daniel's parents were kidnapped or were killed, and then he was kidnapped and taken to a city five 500 miles away, and he was made a eunuch. You know what a eunuch is? It means they castrated him so he couldn't sleep with any of the women in the Babylonian empire. And then one day when he was sentenced to death, they threw him in a, in a den of lions. You want to be like Daniel? I don't. I mean, I love telling his stories, but I don't know that that's the life for me. Oh, if we could only be like Moses. Really? You want to be like Moses? Moses' parents had to throw him in a, in a river filled with crocodiles because he was sentenced to death just for being a baby boy born in the land of Egypt. And then he grew up not with his mom and dad. And then he was on the run for 40 years because he killed somebody. And then he came back to become literally the most hated man in the world 
both by the Egyptians and his own people for a period of 40 years. I don't think we'd want to be like Moses. We look at these prophets and we say, oh, they saw God move in such wonderful ways. Yeah, but their lives were miserable. I mean, they really were if you look at them. And, and James says, you want to know why you need to be patient suffering? He said, look at the prophets. You want to know maybe the saddest verse in the Bible about the prophets? It's Hebrews 11.39. This says this about the prophets. It said all these, Hebrews 11 is a faith hall of fame. It talks about all the great Old Testament figures. He said all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not even receive the promise. None of them received what they put. They all sacrificed so much and they, and they received nothing in return. This is where, at, at this point in the message, when we hear that we don't know when our suffering is going to end and that maybe sometimes we'll never be rewarded for the sacrifice we've made, this is when we all agree that this is the most depressing sermon that we've ever heard in our life given at a church. It's like, Christian, you're not giving a whole lot of hope here. You just told me you have no idea when the suffering is going to go away and, and I may never be repaid for my sacrifice. Sorry, I'm just, I'm reading what, what James says here. You know, we read Galatians 6, 7, and, and we think that to be true, yet for some of us that's not true. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And some of you think, I've been doing the right thing. Well, the prophets did the right thing. And a lot of them were put in prison. They were killed. They were beaten. You know, in China, to be a Christian means to possibly go to jail if you get caught. They're not doing the wrong thing. They're not being punished. They just, they've got a lot of unrewarded sacrifice that, that one day will be rewarded in heaven. You know, I, when, I, when I think of unrewarded sacrifice, I think just because of my love of history and studying history, I think of the Vietnam veterans and how they were welcomed back to America by protesters years ago. And I thought, you know, there's, there's unrewarded sacrifice. I look at the guys in Iraq and Afghanistan now who, who are heroes, who are, who are doing what they're told to do, regardless of what our views are politically. These young men and women are, are going to war and risking their life. And, and, we're, and instead of praising the value of them, we're debating whether or not they, they should be there. Unrewarded sacrifice. They're giving everything and getting nothing in return. And a lot of people do that spiritually. In a marriage, man, you gave and 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 gave. And, gave and it never got better. Or in a job. You did the right thing and you got fired. Or with your kids, you just loved and you prayed and you prayed and, prayed and they still went kind of AWOL spiritually. It happens. And James says sometimes it's not the, the, the unknown timing. Sometimes it's just the unrewarded sacrifice. We've given so much and we, we don't know if it's ever going to get better. But we have to trust, like Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, we have to trust that our life on earth gives eternal rewards even when it doesn't give present-day rewards. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, this won't be on the screen either, I added this late, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Because sometimes you just don't get rewarded on earth. You do everything right and everything goes wrong. It happens. But Jesus said, I, I take notice and I will reward you eternally one day. You know, one of the most difficult but valuable lessons that I learned early in my life as a youth pastor is you would take students in a youth ministry and you would pour into them for like four or five or six years and then they go to college and they'd be gone forever. In the first few years, you kind of get bitter about that. You think, you know, I, I've poured my entire life into them and they left and they're gone now. And you never hear back from them. Really, you, you shouldn't. You're, you're just a training ground. You're not, you're not supposed to be their youth pastor forever. But at first you think, you know, I did all this for them and they left. And God had to rewire my brain and said, no, 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 you did all this for me not for them, and they left. 
And, and, you know, the truth is people come and go from churches. Many of you have come from another church and started attending this one. One day God will lead you to move on from this one to another one. And if I'm doing this for you, I'll get real upset at you when you go to another church. But if I'm doing it for God, I'll expect eternal rewards and I'll say God bless you. Maybe even help you find a church that, that, that suits your needs better than ours does. Because I know ours doesn't do everything that, that it needs to do. But I learned that the hard way through youth ministry, literally ministering to where everyone one day leaves you. you. You just can't hold on to people. You have to hold on to the promises. So there's unknown timing, which makes difficulty and suffering hard. There is unrewarded sacrifice, which makes difficulty and suffering mentally challenging, wondering whether any of it was even worth it. But then maybe difficulty number three, and I want to be honest, this is the hardest one for me. This is where I... I don't know if I've grown or if I've regressed spiritually in this area. But one of the things that James says is difficult is the unanswered questions. So one thing that makes being patient in suffering so difficult is that a lot of times there's just unanswered questions. Look at verse 11. James says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. And he said, you've heard of Job's perseverance. And you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now I want to be honest with you. The last person in the Bible that I ever want to be compared to is Job. Because his life was horrible. Now, it was extremely blessed at some point. But that man went through, I mean, the most terrible events in life that you could imagine. Within a week, he lost all his kids in in a natural disaster. He lost all of his property, all his resources, all his herds. His entire, basically, life was destroyed. And then he lost his health. I mean, within a week, his family died, everybody but his wife. And she was a nag. He wanted her dead. If you read the book real closely, he's like, man, why don't you go die? That's the only thing that would make all this better. You are annoying me. Um, So he lost his family. And then he lost all his stuff. And then he lost his health. And if you read the book of Job, the book of Job is nothing more than 40 chapters of questions. Why is this happening? How can we fix this? What could we have done different? What can we do different? What are we supposed to learn from this? It's questions that are left unanswered. They never, they never get answered. The, the reasons, the behind the scenes of what's going on in the book of Job in life, it never gets answered. The book of Job is an entire book of unanswered questions. And you know what? The, the question that we ask here, our example question, is why, God? Why, God, did this happen? And our example, unfortunately, is is Job. Now, I realize the longer I'm in ministry and the more I experience in life, the more unanswered questions I have. And I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to work. I did not think it would work that way when I got in ministry. I figured the longer I was in ministry, the more answers I would have, not the more questions that I would have. But there are a lot of things that I literally don't have the answers to. One of those was on on May 26th last year, four days after the tornado hit Joplin, Missouri, we took a team of 20 down to Joplin and just served and tried to help. And as I stood in the neighborhood right next to the high school, high school graduation had just occurred. And what wasn't told in the media stories is that a lot of the seniors were still in the parking lot after high school graduation. They saw the tornado coming. They rushed back into the school and they were all killed together in the school. So we're, we're standing there in the school parking lot, the school's gone, the neighborhoods are gone. I mean, it, things weren't destroyed, they were gone. Like a driveway to nothing, not a pile, nothing, it's just gone. And I looked around and for one of the first times in my life, I said, there's, there's, there's not a verse for this. 
There's not a prayer for this. There's no good explanation under heaven for why this happened. Somebody said, well, why did this have to happen? I have no idea. I have no idea why this level of destruction would come to, to these people, which certainly didn't do anything to, to, to uh, deserve going through what, they, what, what so many went through. No answers. Only questions. You know, my, my little sister Marie in the last two years has gone through three miscarriages, back to back to back, still no children. And you know, the first time she went through a miscarriage, man, I had all my pastoral answers. I had my verses and my Bible and my prayers and, you know, went and really tried to minister to her. I think I encouraged her. And after the second one, I, you know, I tried to encourage her a little more. And after the third one, I said, I got nothing. I have no idea. I have no spiritual comfort. I have no spiritual advice. I have no Bible verses. I have no prayers. I don't know why this is happening, Marie. I don't think you're supposed to learn anything for, from it. I don't think you're being punished from it. I don't know. I don't know. I have no answers to these type of life questions. You probably probably the, the worst ministry experience that I've ever gone through several years ago. I had a young lady in, in my youth ministry who took her life. And uh, myself and some of my youth staff had to do her funeral at our church. And there were a thousand, I mean, her entire school showed up. She was a senior. She killed herself on a Tuesday, and I think it was a Friday morning with the funeral at our church. And she was, I mean, the most happy-go-lucky kid that we ever had in our church, but she struggled with, with some things, struggled with depression real bad. And one night she decided that she had enough. And we're sitting in the back office waiting to go out for, to, to hold the memorial service. And uh, the family's all there. And her grandma walks in, and the mother introduces me to the grandmother, who did not know me, and says, hey, this is Christian, and begins to tell the grandmother all the great things that happened in her life through our youth ministry. And the grandma man got right up in my face and pointed and said, if you did so much for my little granddaughter, why did she just kill herself? And I said, I don't know. I have no answers for that question. I don't know. There's not a good answer. There's not a good verse. There's not a good song. I got nothing. And see, the longer you're in ministry, the more you're supposed to have verses and answers and songs and comments and encouraging things. And I, I had nothing. And James says one of the reasons that it's so hard to get through suffering is because sometimes there are, there are no answers. You're like Job, who sat for weeks and asked questions. And didn't get any answers. And James says, the only answer that I can think of in the last part of James 5.11, he said, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I don't know all the answers, but I do know this. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Translation of that is this. God really cares. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but I know God really cares. In Jeremiah 30.17, I, I claimed these two verses for my life last week as I was reading through my Bible in, in my own time that I read through my Bible every day. Danielle talked about some of the things we've gone through. You know, starting a church is hard. Quitting your job and selling your house and moving someplace you've never been without the promise of any income or any people is hard. But we did that, and it, it mentally, man, it messed with us sometimes. And in Jeremiah 30, verse 17, I read this week, God said, I'll restore your health to you, and your wounds I'll heal. And I thought, man, I'm going to claim that. Because, man, sometimes I feel like so emotionally exhausted. It's like, will I ever be healthy again? And God says, yes, you will. 
Jeremiah 31, 25 and 26. God said, I'll satisfy your weary soul. And every languishing soul I'll replenish. And then Jeremiah said this. Man, this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Jeremiah says that this I awoke and I looked and my sleep was pleasant to me. You know, when I go through difficult things, I have, I have trouble sleeping. And I wake up like more tired than I was when I went to bed. Have any of you ever been there? It's like you wake up and you're like, man, why did I even sleep? Now, I'm, you know, I'm more tired. Like you wake up and your heart's, you're just anxious when you wake up. And Jeremiah says, when you really learn to trust God, you don't get through your problems. But Jeremiah said, you wake up and you think, man, that sleep was pleasant. I'm going to get through this. And, you know, I don't have all the answers for you today. But I know this. If you're hurting, we started this church for hurting people to, to just be comforted until they could get healthy. You know, we, we talked about the difficulty of divorce. You know, I want every divorced person in Lee Summit, Cass County, to find our church so we can just love them and help them. That's the type of people that I want to come to our church. Discouraged people, depressed people, hurting people. That's, that's who we want here. Because that's the job of the church to just come around them and say, we don't have all the answers. And we don't know when it's going to be over. And we don't know if you're ever going to get repaid for what you did. But we do know God really cares. And if you just trust God, man, you can lay down and wake up and think, it's going to be better. Do any of you, I love to drive. I love to go on road trips. You know, Danielle, my mom and dad live eight hours away. I love nothing more than getting in the car and driving eight hours to their house. Except I like doing it much better without my children. Because my kids in the back, like an hour from Kansas City, they're asking the kid question. What is the kid question? Are we there yet or how long do we have to go? And you know, what, what they don't know is that I know where I'm going. And I know when I'm going to get there. And their questions aren't going to speed anything up. I'm going to get us to the right spot. And you know, we, we are like a bunch of little kids in the back of God's car. Hey God, are we there yet? God, how, how much longer? God, are we going the right way? Every now and then my kids will ask me, Dad, are you going the right way? Is it Christian? Do you even know what state we're in, son? I mean, that. come on. Am I going the right way? Even if I'm not, you, you wouldn't know. And that's, sometimes we ask God that, though, don't we? Sometimes we'll ask God, God, are you going the right way? And I'm sure God has to think, these kids, you know, he'll get you where you need to go. And you don't need to relax and enjoy the ride, but just know that you're going to get to the destination in one piece. Can't answer all the questions. I don't know if you'll ever get repaid for what you've done, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know God really cares. And, and I know if you're hurting and if you're going through difficulty, God cares, and you'll get through it. Let's pray together. God, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. Lord, I don't know if thankful is the right word. I don't know if grateful is the right word. I don't know if confused is the right word. I can't, Lord, I can't really figure out what I want to say. I guess the, the thought I'm thinking of is uh, maybe confident, Lord. We come to you today confident that you love us. But we got questions about a lot of other stuff. And Lord, I, I don't know that you're going to answer all the questions today or ever. And I don't know that we're going to get paid back for our sacrifice. Maybe not. And I don't know when things are going to stop. But Lord, if you could help us to have more confidence in the thought that you really care. And you're in the driver's seat. You're going to get us to where we need to go. If we could have more confidence in you than concern about our life 
maybe we can lay down, sleep, and wake up and say, I feel rested. God, I pray for the men and women in this room. Pray for those who are going to listen later through our podcast or through our website who are really hurting. People like the farmer who wake up scared every day that he's going to get enough sun and rain and wind and just perfect weather for everything to go right. He's got no control over it, but he just has to trust you. People like the prophets who maybe they did everything right and their sacrifice has been unrewarded. Or people like Job who have a lot of questions that maybe will never get answered on this side of eternity. Give us confidence in your care that's greater than our concern for our situation. And just bring comfort to our weary souls today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room today and you're going through some kind of difficulty, some kind of suffering, some kind of discouragement, some kind of something, and you just want me to pray for you today, I'd like to do that. I won't ask you to stand up or come forward, but if you just raise your hand and say, just, Christian, pray for me, man. i, I got some things going on. I'd like to pray for you before we leave today. Just raise your hand just all over the room. Just raise your hand up. And God, I pray for all these hands lifted. You can put them down. Because you know what their struggle is. And God, I just pray that, uh, that their idios keros, their own divine appointment, would happen sooner than later so they can move past this point of their life. And God, just help them to hang on, be confident in you. Head's still bowed and eyes still closed. If you're in this room today and you've never made peace with God, if you're in this room today and you've never asked God to forgive you where you've gone wrong and allow you to start your life over, we call that becoming a Christian. We call that salvation. We always say the first step of your spiritual journey is to become a Christian. If you're in this room and you've never done that, we don't close a service here without allowing you to become a Christian if you're not one. So if that's you today, and the first step that you need to take forward is to ask God to forgive you, clean you up, change you, and make you a Christian, then pray this prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. The Bible says that God hears the prayers of our hearts. Just right now know that God is listening. Pray this with all your being. Dear God, I need you in my life. Today, I want to begin my spiritual journey by becoming a Christian. I ask that you'll forgive me of all the things that I've done that don't meet your perfect standard. Pray that you'll clean me from the inside out. Make me a brand new person. And I pray that one day, Lord, when I leave this earth, I'll have an eternity in heaven prepared for me because of the way that you love me and my acceptance of that love. Thank you for saving me. Now change me from the inside out. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up just so that I can know it all over this auditorium. Christian, I just prayed to become a Christian today. God, thanks for our time together. I don't know if it was extremely encouraging, but it was enlightening. And Lord, it'll help us as we keep moving forward. And I thank you for that. God, be with us as, uh, as we go and as we get ready to come back next week and continue our study in James 5. Help us to learn your word so that we can learn you, so that we can be more like you and impact the world for you. Let's see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want you right now.